This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Like I said, I think um, I enrolled in Bible college in, it was 2000 or 2001, so a quick, you know, quick little 18 years ago, which goes by pretty fast. And, and if I can say one thing, if I look back at those past 18 years, and I think of all the time in ministry that, that I've been in, Grace and I have been in, if, if there was one person, there's two people really, but if there's one person I could say mentored me the best, it would be Pastor Tommy. Sorry to spring that on you in front of everybody, but I appreciate you. He said it just the way I gave yeah. it to him. <laughs> my check's in the mail, though, right? Hey, you know, you know it's, it's, uh, it was precious back then, you know, in the Bible college, becoming friends, and it's precious today. And one of the things about the faith, it really testifies to a person's faithfulness is the longevity. And here we are 18 years later. Maybe the environment's a little different. But what are we doing? We're just serving God and, you know, and just trying to help people to, to walk in the fullness of the Christian faith. You know, and I was mentioning Kenan, we, you know, was with us for five years and, you know, God bless him. See that young man and he's just plugging away with the worship team and God bless the worship team. Huh? They, they work hard. They, they do a lot of preparation and, you know, and uh, it all comes together. So. And well, I have yeah, to Tim say, Tim and I, we've had some laughs. Yeah, there's, there's uh, two things I want to say. First of all, Tommy and a couple other brothers were praying over me as I was going to Bible college in Hungary. <laughs> and um, one of the guys after the prayer said, I, I feel like I have like, he even said it, huh? It's like a prophetic word. I, I, I got to share this. And we're like, really? And he's like, Tim, you're going to find your wife when you go over to Hungary. And I'll never forget Tommy's response. Get out of here. What are you trying to do? Get this guy's mind on the ladies. He's going to study the word. Sounds like okay? me, huh? Pretty close. Brooklyn, I'm, 60, I'm 66. I don't remember anything in the 40s, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was Tim Matthias. It was. It was we didn't Tim, call, right? we weren't, I wasn't going to call you out, Tim, but there you go, buddy. But Tim was always prophesying, False so prophet. I don't know. You know? <laughs> no, wait, no, where he where is he? Where's Tim? Is he here? No. No, he's not here. We're, we're live stream though. Uh, oh. How do you like that? Sorry, Tim. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, and then the other thing that I wanted to say is Messiah's Christian Fellowship was one of two churches that supported us as missionaries and church playing in Croatia from when we left to when we got back. So we're very blessed by you guys. Thank you so much for that. I don't know if you realize that. There were churches that picked us up and churches that dropped us off. Um, but um, you guys Amen. were faithful to the end. And here we are. So Amen. thanks. Speaking of faithfulness, uh, you know, Tim has always persevered. Got the call to Croatia. You know, ministry can get tough. But he persevered. If one word defines Tim. As my, my friend, he persevered. And uh, that says a lot. That's a wonderful testimony to, uh, you know, God's people. And, uh, you know, he started the church. He's persevered. And, you know, you go through a lot of disappointment, but you, you just persevere. God told him to marry Grace and have five kids. He married Grace and had five kids. <laughs> uh, before we get going, I, I want to try to 
find out the level of your spirituality. So I ask, a you don't mind if I do a little biblical quiz, you know, as far as uh, some answers from the Bible? Um, the first question is, uh, um, who in the Old Testament was a famous actor? <laughs> who, Steve? <laughs> Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> uh, let, me give, let me give you something a little easier, okay? Uh, what animal on the ark did Noah not li like or did not trust? You could just th throw it, shout out an answer. Snake. Huh? Snake. The snake. The cheetah. <laughs> this is a tough crowd. I'm going to... Let me get into the word here. <laughs> I uh, used to have a radio program, and every Friday we would, you know, we'd ask a question, give away a book, and uh, sometimes we'd always get around with these questions. So I had a Bible joke book, and some of them were really funny, you know. And uh, so, anyway, let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we thank you and praise you as we entrust this time to you. We pray through your Holy Spirit, Father, to pierce our hearts with, with the things that we're gonna talk about and learn today. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate these wonderful truths, the direction, the guidance that you've given us in your word, just a wonderful manual for living, and help us, Father, to take these things uh, really to heart and uh, truly be an effective witness for you, Father, as we uh, declare your greatness in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, our introduction passage is Ephesians 6.11, and um, let's read it together, and then we'll backtrack. But in uh, 6.11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The, the wording is actually suggesting organized crime. Satan is very organized in what he wants to accomplish in thwarting the plans of God. Uh, Christ has given us the kingdom of light, and we have to penetrate the kingdom of darkness but Satan is very relentless. Uh, he's drawing the attention of faithful servants. And uh, sometimes, you know, I, I know that we can share a testimony. We get saved and all of a sudden we got all these problems, you know, all these weird things that are going on. Well, that's because we've drawn the attention of Satan. In the history of the church, at least in the Protestant movement, sometimes churches get a little off balance. You know, they don't give any credit to Satan. They don't talk about demons. Then there's the others that are really, they get too much with the demons. You know, when in doubt, cast it out. And everything's a demon. You know, if you have a, if you have a bad day, to, you know, a bad attitude, the, the demon of attitude or the de demon of anger. But we want to be in the middle. We want to recognize that we are in a war. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is definitely suggesting, you know, that uh, there's a war going on. Something I always often like to say that, this is not a game. This is life and death. 
You know, people are dying in their sins every day. We've got to get caught up in the Father's will. We can't allow ourselves to be sidetracked by the, way, the things of this world. Today, the media, the propaganda machine is just totally uh, burying got people so, so con consumed in things that have nothing to do with their calling, as I'm talking to Christians now, with our calling before God. We've got to get caught up in the Lord's work. Why? Because we have an enemy who's relentless, and he's working overtime against God's faithful children. Now, in saying that, I don't want to give too much credit to Satan, okay? You, you know, I think uh, one of the authors, Satan is Alive and Well. Remember that famous book, How Lindsay Was It? Well, I would say Jesus is alive and well in the, in the hearts of his children. And if we leave that title, you know, off balance, we might give too much credit and find ourselves overcome with fears and weaknesses of the flesh. But God has equipped us, and we're going to learn today. You know, we've been equipped in a very wonderful way. We got everything working for us as God's children. And God equipped us because he knew the relentless attacks by the enemy. But he's equipped us where he set us apart in all eternity, according to Ephesians 1. We have a wonderful high priest who's interceding for us at the right hand of God 24-7. Christ has never let our, left our side. Last promised, I think the last verse of Matthew, I will never leave you or forsake you. What a wonderful promise by our Lord and Savior. When he said at the cross, it is finished, that was in relationship to sin. That wasn't in relationship to his ministry in behalf of us. But once again, our high priest is always interceding for us because we are in a war. And God granted us the Holy Spirit to come and take up residency in our hearts in a permanent way. And so we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit just working you know, in our hearts and our lives and giving us the grace to persevere. But we have a real enemy. Bible talks a lot about Satan and the demons. You know, Satan means adversary, devil means slanderer. And uh, then the scripture references, I don't know if they're up there, but he's the prince or ruler of this world. He's the God of this age. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's the ruler of demons. And he's the deceiver, the great deceiver. So we have, a, we have an enemy that we have to be aware of and, uh, and at the same time understand who we are in Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things that I try to encourage my brothers and sisters with, we have to know who we are as new creations in Christ. One of my favorite classes or one of my subject matters that I like to teach on is the wonderful truths of salvation. And, and it's incredible when you put them all together systematically and realize who we are in Jesus Christ. And even, the, you know, the Holy Spirit that's brought us into the body of Christ and indwells us permanently has regenerated us, has sealed us for the day of redemption. You know, it's just uh, amazing. And, and in Ephesians, uh, the book 35 times either says in him, which is Christ, or in Christ. 35 times it talks about all the blessings in Christ. And so, you know, it really comes down to two types of people in this world. You know, those that are in Christ and those that are outside of Christ. You know, that's the only two types of people, you know. And the other way it's said, either we're saints or we're ain'ts, you know. And so, uh, but all those blessings. And so, 
uh, one way to have a good offense is to recognize who our enemy is and how he operates. And we do know that, you know, Satan, persecution, perhaps Peter picked it up when he said he comes as a roaring lion. He does say that in the context of, of encouraging the believers with persecution. And so he comes as a roaring lion or he's persecuting. And again, the hatred that was shown Jesus Christ is transferred to us when we accept Christ and become little Christ, Christian. That's what the word really emphasizes. We're little Christians. It was first used in a derogatory way, perhaps. We're not sure, but it looks like it was used in a derogatory way at Antioch. Ah, oh, we got rid of Christ. Now we got all these little Christ running around. That seems to be the idea. It wasn't the most popular term to describe God's people. Uh, the brethren was a real popular term. But today, Christian is the most popular term in uh, describing us. And so he comes by persecution. He comes by, dis, uh, by deception. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11, 4, and, uh, and again, this runs throughout the, uh, the New Testament. But in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, it says, for if, he comes, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it all. In verse 13, same chapter says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And so by this deception, he introduces destructive heresy. He raises up false apostles and teachers. He masquerades as an angel of light. He operates with a form of godliness, and he's redefining the person of Christ and the gospel. We're witnessing that. And again, one of the things that we have to be careful of, are we persuaded by the word of truth? Are we persuaded by the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit teaching us the ways of God? Or is man, in his own opinion, persuading us and teaching us the ways of righteousness as defined by the humanistic ideas of man? And we all have to ask ourselves, are we a product of God? Are we a product of the Holy Spirit because we've been submissive, we've been obedient, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to really open up our hearts to see the reality of Jesus Christ? Or are we letting you know, anybody who has something to say who hasn't even been tested or proved their validity as teachers of God? Are we persuaded by ideas that are really not from the word of God? We live in a time, I guess I'm anti-electronic. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like the technology today where it's, it's just separated people from really getting back to what God has really called us to be committed in a local body with brothers and sisters, you know, and become accountable. But what we got going on is everybody's church is listening to some guy on Sunday and radio or Facebook. And I'm not saying that those things are good in their own way, but not when it starts dominating us and we start looking at those things as a means of relating to God. The best way to relate to God is to do it his way. And when he says that we need to commit to one another in, a, in an assembly of godly brothers and sisters, he means it. Because we can't be out there just threading water or just being the lone Christian. That stuff will eat us up and Satan will go after us. That's what he's trying to do. Get us all isolated 
from the body of believers. And that's one of the things that the full armor of God, when we keep reading, talks about. Here's one that really is, is you know, look at James 3, 13, 16. Let's look at James together. This one, now again, I, <laughs> pastoring is a, <laughs> it's an interesting job. Uh, let me say this. The local church is very fragile. You're dealing with feelings. You're dealing with people. Unfortunately, you're dealing with a lot of immaturity. One of the things that has upheld Calvary Chapel is they, they got back to the Word of God since the time of Chuck Smith putting this all into motion. Okay? They've all, always been known for protecting the truth of God's Word. Okay? Persecution, eh, the government spares us, you know, from physical persecution, although we're persecuted in a private way. But here's one way that Satan has really infiltrated the Calvary Chapel movement with division. Man, church splits one after another. Okay, sometimes a church split is valid because things are just, you know, it's probably the best thing to do. But all things considered, there are most church splits because there's immaturity. You know, somebody could do it better than the pastor and, you know, and it, it just, you know, it just continues to repeat itself. And I'm saying that one of the obligations we have is to keep and guard the unity of our local church. We have a tremendous obligation and it's going to take a lot of maturity because when we're offended, our selfishness rises to the front and we're going to just interpret everything according to that selfishness and lose sight of what God really wants to do in our church as a whole. And so one of the things I'll be alluding to here is that Satan is trying to disrupt the unity of the church. He's causing division among brothers. Believe me, he's looking for one unhappy camper in a church. That's all he needs. Because that one unhappy camper will put everything in motion by gossiping. And it's unproductive. It really is not edifying for the church as a whole. But that's all he needs, let alone he'll get five or six. And the whole situation becomes unedifying and nobody really gets blessed because, you know, with that kind of disunity, it's hard for the church to go forward as a whole. But Satan knows that. And so he's trying to get everybody's mind off. What's the plan? What's the plan of the church to glorify God? In a personal way, the primary purpose of our life is to honor Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. All of us have an obligation to honor Jesus Christ in our life. All of us have an obligation in our local church to honor Jesus Christ together in the oneness of the Holy Spirit. If that gets, and it is, this is getting challenged. And this is why it's sad when a pastor's trying to go forward, you know, and all of a sudden now, well, you're not, he's not doing it your way. You know what a definition for submission is? You know, everybody's, oh, I submit, I submit, I listen to a sermon. You know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of people's definition of submission, as long as the pastor agrees with everything I feel, that's, that's their submission. That's not the way submission works. Submission is, you know, supporting, submitting our feelings, our will to God and to the will of the leadership Right? Unless, the, unless the pastor's in sin or teaching heresy, 
There's no reason we should be bucking the system, so to speak. There's no reason we should be doing anything like that. Yeah, yeah, if he has to be perfect for us, it'll never work. It just won't work. My wife said to me one day, you know what the problem with ministry? You got to be perfect for everyone, but they don't have to be perfect for you. <laughs> that is so profound. Huh? Right? Amen. That's so, that's, that is so profound. And if we have the maturity, one way maturity defines itself, we can accept the weaknesses of our brothers, even our leaders, not weaknesses that disqualified them, but just weaknesses that we all have, okay? But there are certain qualifications. But we would, one way to define maturity, at least I would define it this way, is a person who can accept the weakness of others, as long as they're not sin, and as long as they're not teaching heresy, and as long as they're, you know, not doing something that has to be addressed, you know? Now, also, Satan, he tempts us. Satan appeals to our sinful nature to stumble us in the faith. You know, First John, oh, did I read, a, oh, let me read James first. I don't think I read it, right? No. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast or lie against the truth. The, that wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Again, Satan gets in there. But the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure then peaceable. I love that word. Always doing everything trying to maintain the unity and the peace in the church, going through without compromising the truth. I'm not saying to compromise the truth for the sake of peace, but when everything's considered, everything's working good, to, to be able to do everything in our God-given power to maintain the peace and the unity and get everybody to maybe back off with some of their criticism. <laughs> and then he goes on, he says, then peaceable, gentle, you know, uh, you know, again, not harsh with people, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so, um, Satan comes by persecution, deception, disrupting the unity of the church, temptation, and by causing doubt, unbelief, destroying one's faith and hope. Okay. Now, again, just a personal note here. Um, one thing that Satan, he, he's stupid, but he's not stupid. Okay? <laughs> he knows that if he could take away someone's hope in life, he's got them on the run. Right? You can survive losing a job. You can survive a broken marriage. You can survive even losing a limp. But you lose your hope in life you're crippled. Satan knows that. He's constantly trying to disturb us, to discourage us. He's trying to deflate us. And what we need to do is fight back with the full armor of God, which is one of the pieces of, of the armory. But that's why we meet together. That's why we have fellowship. I'm talking about a fellowship where we're, we, we are accountable 
and we are committed to a cause. So you can have fellowship without being committed to anything. But nobody's going to grow if they're not committed to anything. Okay? We can be committed to watching TV, Christianity, radio, even a Bible study. But we need to be committed to why God has set us apart, to the truth. Let me say it that way. You can be committed to a church without being committed to the truth. That's a big difference. We're all proud of our church. Oh, I love my church. I love my pastor, you know, whatever, right? But there's still a fine line there. Are we committed in the privacy of our lives to the truth? That's what we have to ask ourselves. And all of us have an obligation. You know, I was in Calvary Chapel most of my life. We don't have membership, you know, right? Most, I don't think any Calvary Chapel. But I was talking to a Baptist minister. They're, they're into membership. And I said, hey, why do you guys have membership, you know? He said, Tommy, it creates an obligation. I kind of like that answer. Now, again, I don't want to be legalistic and, you know, say you got to sign a piece of paper. But somewhere, if we can't, you know, if we're not going to sign a piece of paper, we're going to have to create our own membership by our commitment to a local church. Okay, is that fair? If we don't want to sign a paper or be legalistic about members, then let's create our own official membership before God. Let's commit to our leaders and commit to one another. That's fair, right? But commitment's kind of like a four-letter word, forgive me. But, you know, it's, oh, oh, you know. People are funny. Uh, I was doing a Bible study one day, and a guy jumped up and said, hey, I didn't come here to be preached at. I said, what are you doing here? But that, that episode kind of epitomizes, you know, a lot of people. What are you here for? You know, and it's like, you know, you know, just a general statement. What are we doing here? To be committed to the truth. To, to be committed to the person of Christ, the truth. To be committed through the guidance of the Holy Spirit that testifies to the person of truth and our father of truth. To take these words of God to heart so that they'll pierce our hearts and cause change in us. One of the worst sins in the world, you know, I've been in, you know, around where people get a little too much with personal convictions. Oh, you shouldn't work in a casino, you know, and shouldn't go dancing. Eh, you know, there's a place to address these issues. But you really want to address sin? How about complacency? Does anybody want to address complacency where we're just going through the moves and never acting upon what we're doing in church? It's a nightmare for a pastor to keep preaching every week, preaching every week, preaching every week, and nobody's making a move. Now you say, well, how do you know nobody's making a move? Trust me. Leaders know the spiritual dimension of everyone. Trust me, if you're in the church long enough, they know. They know the condition. God is... God has ordained leaders so that they would know the condition of the sheep's heart. Trust me. You will know someone's heart. It, it's not that hard. <clears throat> but the plan is that 100% everybody has to move forward in the faith. Everybody has to move forward. The worst sin in the world is complacency, not growing in the Lord. You want to split hairs over working in casinos or a glass of wine or, or, or dancing, whatever? Go ahead. You could split hairs over it. I'll address those issues in a different context. But you really want to, you really want to talk about sin? Go ahead. 
Don't just keep going your merry way. Feel comfortable. Love your church without any commitment. And Satan has you right where he wants you. That's a nasty sin, not to grow in the Lord. We should be driving each other in love. It's funny, I get criticized. You're pushing the sheep. You're pushing the sheep. Let me think about that one. Most spirit-filled Christians want to be pushed. Most immature Christians don't want to be pushed. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. That is just the way it is. Spirit-filled Christians, they want, bring it on. I need somebody to, to bring it on. Get me, driving me into the fullness of the faith. Most people don't want to grow. <laughs> You're pushing. You're pushing. And it's like, no. We're called to iron sharpens iron. You know, in uh, one of the translations in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, provoke one another to good deeds. I think it's around 10.25. I like that translation. Provoke has a negative connotation. You know, yeah, my wife provoked me, you know. Hey, my boss provoked me. That's why I did what I did, right? It's got a negative connotation, right? The, that version's using it in a positive way. You see, if we're all in Christ, we need to provoke the best of Christ out of all of us. Get the idea? I always use the example. When you train a dog to be a God dog, you, you ever gone to those schools? Yeah. Man, I tell you, most of them are German shepherds. And what they do is somebody brings their dog and they say, will you train my dog to be a good watchdog? Yeah, let me see what he's got. What he does is he provokes that dog to anger. Some dog, he grabs the ear and he just goes like this, right? Some dogs, they go walking away, right? They're crying when you grab there. He says, forget it. Don't waste your money. I remember this one German shepherd. He grabbed, this thing was a Belgium shepherd. He grabbed the ear. This thing went crazy. I mean, it wanted to kill him. And they say, hey, you got yourself a good watchdog. Now, what's the point, you know? Somewhere we got to bring the best out of each other. See, Christ is in all of us, right? How do we get the best out of each other? We do it God's way. We stick to the fundamental practices of the faith. And we, we trust God. You know how many people don't go to church? That, uh, you know, and, and, and they're going to tell us that we, I don't need to go. You know? Oh, I see. They get by. Here's the way they define their faith, by how good they are with the Bible. What's that have to do with a person's faith? Really, think about it. I got to be careful. You know, Pastor Tim's got to be careful. Pastor's got to be careful. We can't define our faith by just coming up here and teaching and using our gifts. Our faith is defined in the privacy of our lives. What are we doing with God? Are we trusting God with all our hearts? Right? I mean, that's really, I, I've got to examine myself because these kind of, these kind of uh, atmosphere, it, promokes, it prov uh, promotes a lot of compliments. Oh, nice, nice message, Pastor. And, you know, we need encouragement, and that's nice. But, you know, you've got to be careful, too, because that's not what defines my faith. I had a lady one day, she was visiting. She came over, she said, uh, 
you're a fate-filled man. I said, well, how do you know that? You don't know me. No, I didn't say that. But that's what I was saying to myself. Well, how do you know that? You, you don't follow me around. You don't know me from Adam. Of course, I didn't say that to her. But the point that I'm trying to make, my faith is not defined by my ability to teach. That's a gift from God. And I need to be faithful with the word of God. But really what defines my faith is what I'm doing in the privacy of my life. I always like to say character is who we are in the dark, right? We're, for, for the most part, we're all on our best behavior, right? Right, we come to church, well, I mean, unless we're crazy, we're on our best behavior, right? You gotta be nuts not to be on your best behavior in a church setting, right? But that's, uh, but who we are, are we on our best behavior in the privacy of our lives? Do we need a show? Do we need a group of people? You know what I love about the great saints of the Old Testament? Huh? They didn't need an audience to worship God. Look at, look at Daniel. <laughs> hey, Daniel, your, your, your country's been deported. Your whole country's been deported. He's worried about dietary laws. You gotta love this guy. There is no nation. There, there, there's no law operating. You're in a foreign area. That didn't matter to David. His faith was based upon his love for God. And that was a, you know, and you, you see these wonderful examples. And so that's something, you know, that God, you know, perfects in us. And so what we want to do as far as defending ourselves, we want to persevere against persecution. We want to guard ourselves against deception. We want to keep ourselves from, um, you know, keep the unity of the faith. Don't be used by Satan to disrupt it. We want to discipline ourselves so that we can offset the temptations of the flesh. It takes a lot of discipline. We live in a country where we have access to a lot of things. And, uh, and I could probably speak for a lot of us. We're probably looking at things on the internet we shouldn't be looking at. That's just the facts. Because I, I listen to figures and, you know, and take these peaks or just, and it's like we got access to everything. It's going to take a lot of discipline. Satan's pounding this, keeps throwing stuff in our face. See what we're going to do. Takes a lot of discipline to be able to say no. We have to say the same thing Job did. Said he made a covenant with his eyes. We don't need to look at this stuff. And we live in Las Vegas, the billboards, right? <laughs> go down, I used to go to the radio ministry and it's like, man, they got this billboard and they're like, they're letting it all hang out. And you know what I mean? Well, we can either look at it and, or we can be disciplined and say, come on. You know something in this personal relationship with God? When you love someone, you do everything in your power not to hurt them, right? Mothers, they love their children, right? I mean, who's going to do something to hurt their children? Everything they do is for their best, right? We might get frustrated or something, but this is how simple this personal relationship with God is when we share his heart. If we love God, we wouldn't do anything that would be disturbing to him, right? We'd have the convictions to move away from it. Where do the convictions come from? A spirit-filled life. 
if we're living a spirit-filled life, we'll, we'll be so sensitive to our Father in heaven. And we'll, we'll echo the same thing. You know, I love what Ephesians says around 5.11, 5.10, you know. Find out what, what is pleasing to God. That's, I love that verse. Wake up every day and find out what's pleasing to God. See, that's a love relationship. And with that kind of love relationship, you know, we, how could we do anything wrong you know, and I'm not talking about the weaknesses of the flesh. We struggle with the flesh. Listen, I'm talking about two different things. There's an obedience to the faith where we know what's right before God and we pursue it even in our struggles. Okay, but yet those struggles, you know, they're, they're tough sometimes. I'm talking about just the, the simplicity of knowing, you know, what's right before God. It doesn't take a work of the Holy Spirit to give us power over knowing that. Okay, all we need to do is have the right heart and say, yes, I want to obey you, Father. God will take care of the rest because with that kind of heart in worshiping him, the Holy Spirit will clean us up. <laughs> That's the way this works. But if we love God, we love Jesus Christ more than we love our own lives, enjoy the ride. Man, the Holy Spirit's going to clean us up in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be a blessing. Then we'll echo those words. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of joy and of peace and of righteousness and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I added a couple of words, but that's really behind the scenes. Amen. That's pretty, you ever see people, they talk about, well, I'm not religious. I have a personal relationship with God. Okay, that's theologically, you're right. That's true. How many people are living in that personal relationship with God? That's the question. How many people are really living in that personal relationship with God? And those are the things, you know, we, we ask ourselves, you know, and we don't want to know God on paper. Romans 7 says you either live according to the flesh or you live according to the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, when it says according to the flesh, I think our first inclination is, is it saying according to sin? I think that's the way we think. And it's like, no, he's not saying that. He's saying to live according to the flesh is to be religious with a total disregard for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Just being religious, going through the moves, you know, looking good on the outside, a form of godliness, but yet not really capturing the substance and the reality of, of you know, living according to the Holy Spirit. See, if we live according to the Holy Spirit, our eyes are going to be so open to the wonderful truths. I would ask this question. Well, let me tell this. My father once said to me, he said, hey, what looks like a camel, talks like a camel, has two humps like a camel, has legs like a camel, but is not a camel. So I guessed a hundred animals, and then he said, a picture of a camel. <laughs> the question to us is, are we a picture of a Christian or are we the real thing through the substance and essence of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts? We have to ask ourselves that. A lot of people are a picture of Christianity. Right? And I'll be honest with you, Satan has them right where he wants them. Trust me. The, the, a lot of the times people get themselves into so much trouble and they say, boy, I must be doing something good. Satan's really... They don't even say it that way. Satan is against me. And it's like, why is he against you? All the problems you have is because of your lack of faith or your undisciplined lifestyle. Satan, Satan's got that person right where he wants them. 
But who is going to draw the attention of Satan? Someone who sold out for Jesus Christ. But again, I want to govern my comments. Don't fear a Satan. Okay? Fear God. Okay? Recognize our enemy. And so, the believer's defense against Satan's kingdom was James 4, 7. I don't know if I had that one, but let me read it to you. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, if we get this one right, I don't have to go any further with this sermon. We can enjoy the rest of the service, have communion, fellowship, right? Obedience to God. Oh, of course, I know. Of course, I get it. I get it. Of course, we're supposed to be obedient to God. I'm talking about obedience to God. The Holy Spirit has opened up our heart how to be obedient to God. I always tell the story with little Jack. Uh, I was coaching fourth graders. This kid I love, but boy, he was rough. One day I come in early and his father, man, he's, he's hot. He's grabbing his son, Jack, and man, he just grabbed him. And it's like, ooh. Father was a good father. It just, you know, it's one of those moments where, it, you know, drove you crazy, okay? Well, anyway, I'm talking to little Jack. Oh, he was a funny basketball player. He wouldn't pass the ball. I always kept screaming at him, pass the ball, when I was coaching him. And uh, he never passed the ball. So one day I grabbed him on the sidelines. He goes, I got to go play. I said, pass the ball. He just couldn't, you know. So he had a problem with, he was a good kid. But here's the thing, I'm talking to him. And I'm saying, hey, your father really got mad at you, huh? Yeah. I said, well, what happened? He says, well, I disobeyed him. <laughs> I was supposed to do something, I didn't do it. And I said to him, Jack, obey him. And he looked at me like he had a revelation, like he never heard it before. <laughs> I never thought about that. That's the kind of look he had. Obey your father. <laughs> it was simple. The point that I'm just trying to make, is that that's what, sometimes it's this simple to stop this roller coaster effect in our Christian life, where we're just not surrendered enough. Surrender is an absolute word. You're either surrendered or you're not. I think I just contradicted myself. You're not surrendered enough. You're either surrendered or you're not surrendered. Okay? There's no halfway. And if you're halfway, it's not going to work. And the point is that if we're surrendered to Christ and we're walking in the obedience of the faith, and what I mean is, we know what truth is. We know what God's, and we're doing it. Again, I got to make this distinction. We're not talking about the struggles of the flesh where we're not defiantly sinning against God or deliberately sinning against God. I'm talking about the simplicity of just obeying the truth of God and stop trying to change it, stop complicating it, stop putting your own humanist, humanistic ideas in it. Just trust God. Why were the Old Testament saints commended? They believe God. They believe God with childlike faith. And we would really reduce a lot of the problems in our lives. Just obey God. One of the things that we have to look in our hearts, does our heart fully belong to God? Abraham, Isaac, what happened to Abraham? 
God tested his heart, not to hurt him, but to edify him. What did Abraham walk away with when he did what God told him about Isaiah? He was gonna, Isaac, his son, he was going to kill him, right? Because God stopped him. What was it that God, you know, what was it that, that blessed Abraham? He walked away and knew without a shadow of a doubt that his heart belonged to God. Now, Abraham, you know, he wasn't perfect and he made some mistakes, but he knew without a shadow of a doubt. Do we all know without a shadow of a doubt that our hearts belong to Jesus Christ? Do we know that? If we don't, then we need to get on our knees and start asking people to pray for us. Because if we believe that and it's not happening, that's okay. What's not okay is to ignore it and not ask God to get on our knees and ask God to be filled with the Spirit or ask our pastors, our leaders to start praying for us. Let's put away some of the pride and put away some of the ego and start getting on our knees and start telling our brothers, I'm not there. Uh, does the world still got a stranglehold on me. And believe me, Satan will jump all over that lack of surrender. It's over. And so, you know, the Lord, the Lord wants us to go forward. And so, uh, here's the thing. Recognize the role of our high priest in heaven. Hebrews 4.14. Uh, Hebrews 4.14. Let's, let's read that. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's the application of that. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. God has bridged the gap. To, you know, Christ has bridged the gap to the Father, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, one of the defenses, do we know who we are in Jesus Christ? Do we know this? One of my favorite subject matters is the wonderful truths of salvation. Who are we in Christ? Ephesians says 35 times in Christ, in Christ, in Christ concerning blessings. Do we understand what God has done for us at the point of salvation? It's incredible. First of all, he chose us in all eternity according to Ephesians 1. Christ in all eternity with this wonderful plan of redemption chose to take on humanity because he loved us that much that God can't die so the second person could die in his humanity but the deity couldn't die. Think about it. It's a wonderful plan. And so Christ now is interceding for us 24 hours at the right hand of, of God as our high priest. Now we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts and dwelling in us. We've been equipped. We have been equipped. Hey, Tim, what time did I start? I, you said to three o'clock, I have to three. Yeah, let me, all right, let me try to bring some closure on this. Uh, <laughs> Early, I mentioned the fellowship of believers as a safeguard against the relentless attacks by Satan. All right, and, um, and so we need to submit to God in obedience. Um, how do you know you're submitting to God? Are you submitting to God-ordained authorities? Really, that's one way to answer that. Think about that. You know. Hey, listen, I know who's submitting to God. You have trouble with your boss, 
Women always criticizing their husbands, and that could be vice versa, all right? Uh, criticize, you know, always criticizing the pastor. Chances are you're not submitting to God, because this is a funny thing. If you're submitting to God, you will have the humility to submit to everything that God has ordained. You will have the ability to submit to all aspects of, of submission. That's the way I've seen it work. But if a woman has trouble even submitting to her husband, chances are she's not even submitting to God. Now, of course, I can talk more about submission. It's like, oh, woman's live, you know, but uh, I would balance that, but I don't have time right now. The point that I'm just trying to say is there are God-ordained ways of doing things that we are called to submit to. Amen? So I got to get you guys a little more Pentecostal. A couple of amens wouldn't hurt. Amen. Let you let you know you're out there, huh? Anyway, know that Satan has no jurisdiction over us, has no power over us. We, we have to understand this. Because of who we are in Christ, we are overcomers, right? We, we have to understand that. And we have to have a proper reverence for God, you know? 2 Corinthians 7.1, I like this one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I love this, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you know why people don't grow in the Lord? No fear of God. <laughs> that's, that's the simple answer. There is no reverence for God. They go through the moves. Yeah, God's a good guy. The man upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves me. He'll forgive me. And, but no real conviction in our love for God. There's no fear of God. That's why people don't grow. Boy, if we fear God, and I'm talking about a fear that needs to be balanced, a reverence for God, a love relationship with a reverence. The best way I can explain it, my big hero growing up in the Brooklyn was Mickey Mantle, the great baseball player. One day I ran into him on the golf course at the Desert Inn. I was shaking for an autograph. Can you sign my autograph? I was 18 years old. Man, I, I had a reverence for this guy. That's the kind in the sense that we have a reverence for God. You know, we, we, we have a nice fear for him. He's, he's, our, he's our hero, you know? But we, we, we worship him in that way. And so, you know, the full armor of God, you know, talks about in, back in Ephesians 6.10, um, the belt of truth is the essence and reality of the gospel. And it's the foundation for godly living protects against the lies of Satan and man and their philosophies on life apart from Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness is the second one, living a spirit-filled life and maturing in the faith, understanding the grace of God in a Christian living. This protects against a false righteousness that distracts from the source of our strength, Jesus Christ. Listen, the way of righteousness has to be def defined by the Holy Spirit, okay? Not by our own human instincts okay if we're not submitting to god and we're playing religion we're going to end up submitting to our standard of righteousness and not the righteousness that god has given us in jesus christ amen and so the gospel of peace the place of god that gives us solid footing for standing firm ironically to go forward in the faith we must stand firm in god's peace and uh this protects against the fears of life that Satan uses to stall our forward progress. Fear, the great faith killer. Huh? Fear is the great faith killer. 
Fear will get us to talk ourselves out of everything in which God wants us to persevere in. That's what fear does to us. And then the shield of faith, learn to walk by faith, not by sight. Developing godly convictions to stand firm in the faith. This helps us to protect against the relentless attacks of Satan and putting doubt in our minds. The helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation. Develop an eternal perspective to our Christian life. Protect against the wrong value system. Holding on to the things of this world too tightly that are here today and gone tomorrow. If we cultivate our hope in Jesus Christ, it'll take us out of this temporary life in which we, it won't be as meaningful to us as our future abode. Amen? And as we get caught up in our eternal life, and the life, I mean, Christ is called the eternal life, as we fellowship with him, we find ourselves um, really just uh, severing ourselves from this temporary life that really doesn't really play too much of a role and the purpose that God has set us apart for. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, you know, to cut through any deception in our hearts and to protect against the temptations of life. Every day we are called to dress for battle to God against the relentless attacks of Satan. And uh, we do battle with the weapons of righteousness. According to 2 Corinthians 10, we are in a spiritual war. We need to cling to Christ. Amen. 1 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Listen, I, if I leave you with anything, just remember, we are in a war, okay? Again, this is not a game. This is life and death, right? And again, we have to go forward in the faith. We are obligated, we are our brother's keeper. And we come together, we've got to push each other to the limit. Sky is the limit for spiritual truth, all right? And I'm not saying push in a bad way. I'm saying push in the sense that just build each other up into faith. Don't reduce our fellowship to religious observances. Don't reduce it to going through the moves, all right? We've got, you know, we've got to keep the bar high. And Satan is working overtime. And the only way we can offset the ways of, of Satan is to live in the fullness of the faith, to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Tim? Oh, okay. Let me lift up uh, Calvary Chapel Paradise. Okay, and, and ask God that, you know, he would continue to use us in a mighty way to glorify him. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Father, for just the kindness that you've shown us in all eternity. We were the apple of your eyes, Father, before we ever took our first breath in all eternity. And Father, you have set us apart for just a gigantic purpose, Father, to be your ambassadors and to to testify to the truth, Father, to appeal to the king, to the lost hearts of those in the kingdom of darkness. And Father, 
In many ways, we can be weak. But even the passage tonight said, be strong in the Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would always take these words to heart, that they would be so amplified in our lives, that they would resonate, Father, in such a way that we truly would be one new man that Philippians defined us as, the oneness of your Holy Spirit. Help us all to put away childish things. Help us all, Father, to put away uh, issues and practices that really are not edifying to our personal lives or to our church as a whole. Perhaps there is some of you might be on the fence. I've never surrendered. I've never been born again with the Holy Spirit. And lately, God is tugging on your heart. Kind of in a soft way saying, enough, enough. Let's move forward. There's no joy, there's no peace to life apart from Jesus Christ. And if perhaps God has prepared your heart to hear something of this nature today, I would say, raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Don't let any pride get in the way. Let this be the day you never look back and go forward in the faith. So if there's anyone who would want me to pray for you, Father, we thank you again for the fellowship that we share. Bless Calvary Chapel, Paradise. So I lift this church up to you, Father. Always, Father, that you would be glorified through the deeds of your saints who love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.